0: Welcome to the Experience Ed podcast. I am Jim Steller.
1: I am Mary Churchill. And I'm Adrienne Dooley.
0: We bring you this podcast on experiential education
1: with educators and thought leaders from around the country and the world.
0: We are pleased today to have a chance to interview Frank Ciccio, the founder of IQ4, a virtual internship company that has started with the field of cybersecurity features online industry mentors in virtual classroom-based courses, documents key skills and abilities according to national standards, and helps bridge the employment gap between industry and education. They have had enough students go through their courses so far that they know employment is high and so are salaries. Through their courses, a high proportion of women are entering the field, and the company is helping industry finding talent by building it not buying it in the normal hiring cycle.
1: So great to meet you. Same here. And Jim's told me a lot about you. So I'm excited about this conversation. Um, And I will admit that I recommended we go with someone who is outside of academia.
0: (laughs) Okay, so tell me about it. What is it that you're doing? Give me a little context.
1: For the, the podcast? Yeah, it's all about experiential education. Uh, so, I'm a sociologist by training, and Jim is, you know, biology, neuroscience, and we have a colleague, Adrian, who's a practitioner in the education space. So, part of what we're trying to do is tell the story of how important um, experiential education is, not just to future careers, right? Of course, we know it gives you great skills for um, your future job or your current job, but also people skills, the human skills, but ultimately makes it a better world for all of us if you've got this experiential ed as part of your academic program so that you're gaining those skills along the way. All three of us um, either went to school or worked or did both at Northeastern. So we have that Northeastern connection is where we met. So. Mm -hmm. So, and it sounds like the work that you and Jim have been doing together is right in that wheelhouse. And I worked with Jim for a short time at uh, Queens College, CUNY. So
0: um,
1: met a lot of those players, great schools, really doing great work. So, yeah. So, so do you want to jump right in?
0: Sure. I, I got a little bit better idea of what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And the, well, and I can say that most of the folks who are listening Are in higher ed, right? So we're, some of them are strong supporters of experiential ed and they're knee deep in it, but some people need to be convinced of why this is important work. So that's part of what we're doing as
0: well. Okay, cool. Let's go.
1: Okay. So, this idea of founding IQ4, right? This virtual internship company, what gave you the idea to do that? And how did the company get started? And why did you pick cybersecurity as one of your first initiatives?
0: Uh, Great questions. Um, So thank you, Mary. I think um, I would first start with, we didn't start the company with the intention as most um, companies when they first started out, Think we're going in one direction and we end up in another. Um, as we explore and try to solve a problem, uh, the genesis of the company was based on trying to solve a skills gap problem in general. And from taking that on, and, and our background is solving problems with technology, we've done it mostly for Wall Street over the last 20 years, mostly technology infrastructure. So when we looked at the skills piece, we said, you know, why? Why don't we know the right talent inside of a firm? So this is where it started, inside of the enterprise, um, to be able to fill the jobs that we need, uh, either jobs that are well-defined or even new uh, talent skills that are required for a new business that we're developing. So um, as we started to explore that, we realized that we started following kind of like uh, the yellow brick road. And um, what that led us to was outside the organization to where things start within the schools, right? And what we realized was there was no technology that underpinned this notion of lifelong learning. There was no technology that existed that really described or facilitated a supply chain for intellectual capital, uh, people, skills, what they develop, how they're measured. Uh, different ways they're measured, how they progress, um, and do it in a validated way. So we basically built a platform to facilitate that. Uh, One of the parts of that platform is uh, the academic side, where we realized that there's a gap uh, between education and industry in in many areas. Um, One is there's no real technology that just facilitates a transparency for industry to gain access to students, kind of like a learning management system except for workforce learning, right. right? We've got the learning systems inside the schools. We don't have the learning systems between the schools and the enterprise. So we built a module on this supply chain to facilitate that, to create that ubiquity. And we translated what we built to what people would re, you know, kind of refer to or uh, uh, have a relation, a, a, a relationship with, not a relationship, a um, that people would have a association with, like internships and apprenticeships, except it's virtual. So when you suddenly turn things virtual, think about what Amazon did to the merchandising world. Right. Right. We went from going to the store to buy something to a multi-hundred trillion dollar business now online. It disrupted the whole industry. Well, when you, when you enable technology to do that between students and the workplace, I really believe you can disrupt uh, in a big way and solve that problem of the skills gap. So uh, the trick was how do you coexist with academia yeah. and the business that they run? And how do you enable organizations to engage with students in a very powerful, financially beneficial, and way where it doesn't take them a lot of time? So, um, because that's industry, right? Right, right. Um, So we built that. And is that, um, so that, would you call then, that
1: a platform?
0: Oh, yes, okay, yes. Okay. We built a platform, okay, okay. a workforce development platform, basically, yes. Cool. So it's like a learning system like you have internally for your classes, except think about it now that instead of instructors, you have mentors, they're the instructors. The content is interactive because it's actually a project. The project has teams. So we work with teams of students instead of individual students. We assess how well they apply their knowledge versus taking a test. So it's all about representing how a student would actually work in the real world without actually being hired yet. So we, we we create that transparency. And why is that important? Because we felt in our early days, the genesis of the company, when we started looking at this, we actually were working with NASA on aerospace engineering and STEM. And we realized that uh, the most powerful way of engaging a mind is putting it to work on a real problem with real people and understand that space, the subject matter experts. So when you um, when you engage bright minds or anybody with a mind, because we believe everybody has great minds, we believe that it's important to give them a chance to apply it. So if you actually apply it on something real where somebody sees something, they can ask a question, they actually have a challenge, there's a strategy behind it, they're working with a team, it suddenly changes the landscape and the behavior of people, students in right, particular. Right. So we believe this project-based learning was the way to go. You could call it applied learning, experiential learning. It's basically project-based learning. And um, and so that's what we did. We built a platform to enable that. And um, that's th- where I- the
1: virtual industry mentorship happens, correct?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. So the actual... Um, so just a day in life, and um, let me give you an idea in cybersecurity, for example, I'll take you through the, the, the process there. So we selected cyber because while STEM was really important and engineering in, in particular and how the country was losing our position and leadership in that space, um, it was more of an economic issue um, and in, in that vein, as opposed to cybersecurity, which was a nation state issue right so the threat to nation state to our core assets of the country whether it be our physical assets our people where the bad guys could you know attack a heart pacer right they could just take them down they could take down utilities and just take hospitals down they could take lighting systems and water supplies they can take you could drive your car off the road they can take money out of the bank without having to walk in um that's a big threat that's much bigger than a manufacturing or retail shortage of supply of, of talent so we took that on and you know sometimes you don't know what you're you know what you're asking for what until you get in into, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly and we found um, we found ourselves in the middle of a hornets' nest um, that yeah. uh, people didn't even know the kind of skills they needed because these these the bad guys were attacking systems and they had no idea even how to deal with it so we were in the middle of a war that we kind of night in 2015 and not that it's, it's just gone on in 2015, but it really, the bad guys really started realizing there's this enormous reservoir of, um, of, of, of things they can do that basically anything connected is vulnerable. Right. And so that's, that, that's kid in the candy store yep. for the bad guys. Yep. So we took this on, um, we engaged industry directly, uh, specifically the, the cybersecurity leadership in wall street. Uh, so we, we, we formed a consortia with CUNY with the vice chancellor at the time, Frank Sanchez. Yep. Um, we actually, we got to Frank from Jim Steller. Jim was the provost of Queens college at the time. I was introduced to Jim. Jim said, there's a guy you got to meet. I, uh, I asked Frank if he would be willing to support it. I'd bring industry to the table, so he agreed, and we formed the cybersecurity workforce alliance. Uh, these were folks like Phil Venables, the this chief information security officer at Goldman, and his yes. counterparts at Morgan Stanley and Bank America and J.P. Morgan Chase and the Federal Reserve Bank in New York.
1: Excellent.
0: All who had an interest.
1: Yeah.
0: Because we had hundreds of thousands of jobs open at the time. Um, so we had this platform and they said, okay, we'll give you the content. We know what it's, what that content is. We'll write it up for you. We'll write a real project on insider threat and we'll come up with an alias bank, which they call the Goliath national bank. <laughs> it was a multinational 160,000 person bank that we used as a kind of like an example yeah. A real live example wasn't real, but it was as real as they get. Like a simulation, without-
1: right? Kind of?
0: Exactly. Oh, okay. It was a simulation. They um, created the use cases like espionage and IP theft and intellectual property theft and, and other things um, that were going on. Uh, we utilized a framework because we knew the taxonomy was very key to measure the results of how well students applied their knowledge. So there's a whole component in terms of assessing applied knowledge, that we wanted to do it in a systematic uh, way that could provide scale and measurability for the workforce, because the workplace needs that, right? The organizations, when they invest, what am I getting out of it? What do I got to put into it? You know, and 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 that kind of thing. And is so, this
1: the, I'm kind of looking at my notes, is this the skills documentation in the IQ4 passport? Is that yeah. what you're, okay, okay, so this is, that's excellent. Excellent.
0: Yep. So underlying that skills passport, underlying the whole platform. Think about it. um, When you have a supply chain, when you go online with Amazon to buy something, um, you type in some keywords and something comes up. That data is coming from a barcode. That barcode has a taxonomy behind it. Because that common taxonomy, people don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but that barcode, whether it's a mouse pad, a blouse, a desk, a car, whatever it is, it has an associated digital identity, and that digital identity has all kinds of data. And it needed to be needed a common um, ontology that everybody reading that barcode was reading the same thing, and that's how the supply chain works. So we built that for people. We built a taxonomy. We utilized and worked with the Department of Homeland. The NSA, Department of Defense had built a framework to start that was excellent for the federal government, which has now recently been adopted by the president's executive order that's mandated that the government needs, you know, must use that taxonomy now in all their federal agencies. Uh, we used it um, to adopt it to the private sector. So I co-chair the workforce group for the private sector for the uh, the NICE framework. Um, It's a big initiative going on now with potentially the country could adopt that for all different disciplines beyond. So data science and finance and liberal arts and you name it, uh, it could become a a, a core framework, uh, open source, but everybody could talk the same language. So if you're an employer looking for something, you use that.
1: That's excellent. So you could basically, you could scan me and all of like the metadata where I'm tagged, the skills I have would come up, correct? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> That's very cool. We,
0: we, we actually built a, what I call, and I know I know the viewers or the listeners may take a little bit back on this, but we've invented the human barcode. Yeah, no. We actually have, we have a patent on it right now, pending, and it is the coolest thing. It's in a T-shape. And the bars represent competencies and skills and then connected to that are all your work product classes, mm-hmm. courses you've taken, degrees you've gotten, certifications, work product. So it's basically your DNA.
1: Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's your- like your transcript and your LinkedIn yep. profile and your CV or resume all kind of in one nice barcode. That's right. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Well,
0: that was a piece we saw that was missing, the the, the notion of what we call the passport Right, which is the barcode, um, next generation digital resume. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Right, uh, that was missing uh, the ability to, to for applied knowledge was missing from a technology perspective. Plenty of different initiatives going on. You know, we didn't re, we didn't invent um, the notion of uh, apprenticeships and um, internships, but we automated it. Right. Because if you look. At 21 million students in the United States in post-secondary school, how many are engaged in an apprenticeship or an internship? Right, right. Two percent.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. there's no reason why 100% can't.
1: Exactly. No. if you
0: if you as an employer, you know, J.P. Morgan is 280,000 people working in the company. Accenture has 650,000 people in the company. Yum Brands has 1.4 million people in the company. Right. Just imagine if you can get a one to ten, one mentor for every ten students, seven students, how you can instantly turn, you know, 21 million students divided by seven is what? Three million? Yeah, yeah. You only need about 40 companies <laughs> right. to light up to be a mentor. And there you go. You just gave 21 million students experience and awareness of opportunities in the market they never knew about.
1: That is fantastic. Now, I, I I, I think that we're not, in academia particularly, we're not utilizing really current technology at all. <laughs> I mean, we're so far behind. Um, and, you know, we kind of make these baby steps in online learning and we stick them in the same exact routine that we've always done everything for a hundred plus years. So, um And I think platform is the way to go, right? And so if you can take an existing framework in academia, like a um, learning management system and connect into that and and bring us up to date, (laughs) I think that's fantastic. So how-
0: And that's what we've done, by the way. So we have have, um, packaged the applied learning program in a way that can fit within a three credit course structure Um, it could be plugged right into an elective it could be plugged into an existing apprenticeship or internship course Um, it could be a non-credit it could be applied to freshmen as well as seniors or master degree students it could be on it's online obviously Uh, so you've got credited non-credited it could be a 30-day program it could be a four-week semester full full-blown 14 week program. So we've, uh, uh, configured the system in a way, the programs that they could just plug in. And while it's highly disruptive, be totally complementary to how a school operates.
1: So how, so that's fascinating because I have done uh, a lot of corporate partnerships, um, in my time in academia and, um, It's tough, right? Because academia, as I just described it, is pretty traditional and inflexible. And often um, the corporate partners get very frustrated with that. So, how have you, what do you think has (laughs) helped you be successful in accommodating these traditional, rigid um, frameworks within higher ed?
0: We bypass everything.
1: <laughs> but you're also, I mean, you you kind of you just said you have non credit, you have three credit, you have four credit. You've really you're you have it's almost like um, you know molding clay around the current structure. You've been able to be so flexible that you fit yourself right into everything. Correct? Yep. That's what it sounds so like we, to me.
0: Yeah. So what we did was we created an environment where the platform facilitates mentors. Through the platform itself plus video conferencing like zoom or WebEx. So we use everything to engage the students, right? So the bottom line is whether the students are physically in a class or at their dorm or at their home or wherever they may be at work and taking an hour to go through this uh, They can engage with the mentor. They engage with the mentor on a project team. So these are all team based we do nothing individual Okay um, so we're trying to teach students the, the, the really primarily upfront the soft skills, right? What are the, what we call power skills. So how do you work as a team? How do you work and depend on each other and pull your own weight to make sure that the team generates what they need to, because that's the real world when you get out there in the, in the market and the business side. Um, so that part is what we had focused on Yep. Then how we deliver it. Became the question. So we said to the school, well, look, you don't have to make this part of your curriculum at all. You could just promote it to the students, say it's available, and let them, you know, let them jump on it if they like. That's the least intrusive, right? Then, if you want, you could actually plug it into an existing course shell. So you don't mm-hmm. have to get approval for the curriculum. You don't have to go, it's not part of a curriculum. Right. It's a soft skills um, project based course, okay? So the school's welcomed. Anybody could help their students with soft skills, right? Because right. they're not really focused on right. as much. Um, they could publish the course in the catalog, right? Because it's actually a bona fide course and the students in some schools, they want to give the students the credit. Right. So the students get credit. Most of the credits are three credit courses because they, they're an hour a week. Uh, are actually two hours, one with the mentors, one with the either the faculty or whoever, um, We've actually had our own people sit in like we do it at SUNY, um, sit in as adjuncts and they're, they're, they're um, validated adjuncts. They've gone through that you know, process that you guys go through to, to bring in folks yep. but they, and it's all virtual. So we don't physically arrive anywhere. Um, uh, and then sometimes the, the schools have their own faculty that they want to plug in. I mean, the best case would be faculty, whether they're cybersecurity smart or not. We actually prefer the soft skills part. So we have faculty that are really interested in helping students learn how to communicate, present, articulate, uh, write, and, and actually apply and understand what the business needs, um, the better. And we could plug them in. So, and, and, and then we have a battery of courses. So if the school actually wants to promote it as, an, as a simple, um, uh, you know, gen ed course to gain awareness, they can. Okay. If they want to promote it as a full blown apprentice course, where there's a battery of courses that the school provides actual academic training, right? Education yeah. courses. And we can package that with the projects. We can do that.
1: So you provide so, the schools with a menu of options. And so yes. they have agency in choosing how they, um, partner with you and how that is to their students. But it sounds like you're also, and this was the bypass piece, you're going directly to the students and kind of that high level of engagement where the students are very, very interested in the work they're doing. And so they come up, they show up, and they know they're learning. Um, Yeah. Very, very smart. (laughs) Well, the menu piece is really important. I think when I am working with faculty, the more i try to uh fit you know the you know uh, the square peg in the round hole it does not work mm-hmm. but if i say here are all these options to opt into they're going to choose something 99% of the time so it's about having agency having choice and not forcing one model and so the menu of models is is a fantastic uh approach <laughs> strategy <laughs> <Right.
0: sighs> oh. yeah, totally great.
1: this is lovely i mean i think um I've learned so much and you've got a really great model, but you also, and I don't know if this is you personally or the folks you work with, but you're flexible, right? And I think that helps with academia because I think most of us in higher ed want our students to have these skills and we, they, we want them to be successful in life, but we don't always know how to work with corporate partners. And there's definitely a fear. I think there's a fear for my, many faculty um, of what does that look like? So, I think the more we can demystify that, the better for all of us, right? Um, so is there anything else you want to add? That well, we, I think that that we didn't that's cover? phase one,
0: right? Right. Yeah, that's phase okay. One so phase two becomes how do you scale this within the, the, the schools themselves, and what kind of a role besides just making it available to the student, right? Right, and so that gets down into the employers, and um. You know, at the end of the day, if you look at a, a uh, SUNY Albany, you probably have 20,000 students, roughly, give or take. Um, you probably have thousands of companies that over time have recruited your students. And, you know, they come in and they do their thing. Right. And the students, it's up to the students to try to figure out who's the right employer and all that good stuff. Um, your Your career services folks are inundated. Um, and understaffed to be able to really deal with 20,000 students and thousands of employers, just that it, it won't work. So what we're trying to do now is say, look, you have established a relationship. It's all about ecosystem, right? And optimizing ecosystems. So our next step is you've asked, you, you, you've optimized that you, you've established an ecosystem and a relationship with employers. Why don't you make it much more, um, profound and of value for them to work with you on a new program, right? Right. Um, To help benefit the students. You want them to hire your students. Ultimately, we'd love to have them stay in the New York area so we could drive our own economy, right? So by going out and making these introductions, that's all that needs to be done. It's an email to an employer. It says, we got a new program. We'd love to know if you'd have any interest in it. Bang, done. Hand it over to IQ4. We'll take it from there. And the same with the employers that we're working with. All they need to do now is send an email to you know, the provost or somebody in the school to say, look, we're looking to hire your students got a new program. It's all virtual. We'd like to plug in and work with your students. Literally, it's like Amazon. Right. It's like LinkedIn. Right. All right. How do you engage with these social you know networks how do you engage with these online systems you log in you set up a new password and a new username and you're in well there should be no reason we can't do that students for applied learning experiential learning right we could get it to that point we're there actually yeah so so we think that what's really important and there's a whole financial model behind it Mary, right? So we've got a model. We've launched this new program called the Virtual Apprenticeship Challenge, and it's kind of focused right now on cybersecurity and data science. Uh, we're looking to bring 10,000 students through the program over the next three years on a global basis. And the way the program works is, um, in some cases, the schools have to put a little coin in. We, we want the schools to put some kind of like the cost of a lab fee, right, yep. for a student yeah. to participate, A cost of a book. Because it's important to get their attention, yeah, right? Yeah. Give it away for free; nobody takes it serious. So, but we don't want to price this thing out because you know it, it it does cost money to develop the technology, to run the programs, to work with the mentor. You can imagine, um, and the content. Now, on the other hand, employers spend an enormous amount of money finding right. and hiring. Students. That number can range from seventy-five. To 175 thousand dollars per student, to find them, hire them, and give them three months. The first three months, right? Yeah. Okay. So, what our model is is look, for two thousand dollars, you can you can sponsor a student. So, if you sponsor a team of seven for fifteen thousand dollars, you now have seven students that absolutely one or two of them you can hire. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you've just saved yourself 10 times that amount of money. You spent 10, 12 weeks with them. You know who they are. They know who you are. Right. Right. And you hire them. You've taken the risk basically out of the program. If that happens and the school binds those employers, those sponsors, we give back to the school 20% for every dollar. Nice. We give that back to the school to support the self-sustainability of the program. We give it back to the school to support potential scholarships, if they'd like, for the students. And to basically continue the program and the operation so that we can help to fund a new way to engage the workforce, the workplace, the school, and mobilize industry and education in a way that has never been done before. So that's the next phase that we're working on today.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. That's excellent. So I'm, uh, I'm I'm sensitive to the time. I'm looking at the clock right now. And I know we need to wrap this up. But that is, you've just blown my mind, quite honestly. <laughs> 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 because I, in several iterations of my past life, I have um, negotiated these corporate partnerships, right? And in places that were not Northeastern, they were very challenging. and career services offices often wanted to participate in this but they were understaffed under-resourced and were just barely um, staying above water dealing with the major employers that came on a regular basis but they knew that they needed to be doing so much more so um, and i have always i think the platform model is the way to go for so many parts of our life lives right now but, and I've said, there's gotta be someone who could hook into career services and just really make this much simpler and um, scale up at a greater level. And the value add to the corporate sector and the value add to uh, higher ed is, is so obvious. So, thank you.
0: Well, and think about the school itself. It's not just career services, it's you. Yeah. It's, the, it's the team, the executive team it's the the faculty. Everybody's got relationships with some level or some employer that they work with. Employers call them, especially faculty, right? They're calling the faculty, who are your best students, right? So this is a way to just say, ah, sign in here and you can find them, Yep. Yep. right? So that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to scale that whole point. That's part of the skills gap, goes back to what we started, right? The skills gap exists because technology doesn't exist. So if we right. can bring technology to the table, we believe that standards, models, content, and the technology pulling it together would will solve that problem in a big way.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And it hey, was Mary. it was great to meet you. Same here. Thank you for listening. We hope you will come back soon for the next installation of Experience Ed. As we continue to talk about the neuroscience and sociology of enhancing higher education
0: by combining direct experience with classical academic learning.